Hello, everyone. Good to be back with you after our week off for Easter. Or I almost said Holy Week, but it was Easter. And isn't it wonderful how Easter simply started on Easter Sunday, actually with the vigil of Easter, it was the beginning of Easter, and it continues for 50 days. And so rightly so, we should be wishing each other or greeting each other with a happy Easter and still very early on in Easter. So that's a very, it's a very exciting time for, for us who are, who are Catholic, right, to know that Easter lasts for so long. So, Father John, happy Easter to you. Thank you, Father, and to yourself. We stay in that afterglow for quite some time, don't we? Yes, we do. And our churches over there are still adorned nicely with live flowers from Easter, and and uh, hopefully they'll, they'll last for a little bit. But all of you out there, remember, you're still in Easter. We're no longer in Lent, so whatever you give up for Lent, unless it's something bad, keep it up, right? But if it's something good, go ahead and celebrate, because it is Easter, Jesus is risen, and this is what we're all about. So let's continue with, uh, with as we always do with the Angelus. In the name of the Father, Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared to Mary. She conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with Amen. thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was, was made, made known by the message of an angel, angel may by his passion and cross be brought, brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we're going to talk about what is known as the four marks of the church. And if you don't think you know what they are, I promise that you do, or at least you've heard what they are. And so you know about the four marks of, of the church, and we're going to go into them in a minute. And they have to do with who the church is, who we are at our core. And before we get into that, Father John and I were just discussing a minute ago about something so interesting about the church. You know, and there's several proofs, if you will, proofs that God is with his church. And I remember one of my, my professors, a professor of fundamental theology, would say some of the proofs that God is continues to be used with the church is that you can point to holy people. Another one is in, in your lifetime, right? So we can each point in our lifetimes, most of our lifetimes, to uh, Pope St. John Paul II, uh, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, and of course, other people. Another one is that people die for the faith. People still are dying for the faith. And, and actually, just at Palm Sunday, right, there was those people who died in Indonesia mm -hmm. simply for going to Mass, right? And, and for most of us here, it's such a drudgery to have to get up and drive to Mass. COVID is a lame excuse after a while, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, those of you who need to hear that, I hope you did. And then uh, another one of them was how long the church has lasted. So the church has lasted now for about 2,000 years. And part of that, of course, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Most of it is, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. But a, part, a great deal of it, too, Father John and I were commenting before, is that the church knows who she is. The church knows her identity. We know who we are. We know what we believe. And it does not change. It stays firm. Right, uh, trends will come and go, fashions come and go, leaders come and go, 
Uh, even the mass, in many ways, it will change. But the core of who we are as Christians, and remember, Christian equals Catholic, right? Christian equals Catholic. The core of who we are as Christian remains the same, and that's what we believe. And so part of what we believe are the four marks of the church. And as a way to introduce the four marks of the church, um, I, I, I was hoping, I, I, I should have looked at this song, so I'm going to have to sing a little bit to you tonight. So please, that's a fair warning to go get your earplugs if you want. But I started thinking about this because at uh, Pope St. Pius, I'm not sure if it's St. Thomas' father, we, we during Lent, we sang the Holy, Holy and the Lamb of God. We sang them in Latin. Right, because the Second Vatican Council said that, that the people should be able to read or to sing certain parts of the Mass in Latin because it's part of our heritage. And I was kidding around with our choirs saying that Vatican II also said people should know how to sing the Gloria in Latin. And you know what else we should be able to sing in Latin? The Creed. The Creed. And, and credo means I believe, which is where we get the English word creed. And, and so the creed begins, and it's a beautiful song, the way it begins is a Gregorian chant, and it goes something like this. Credo in unum deum, pater omnipotens. And it kind of goes like this. And this is, remember, I, I've told you that art, and art, and music is art, art expresses things that words alone cannot express. It kind of adds layers to meaning. So here, the, the song begins like that. Credo in unum deum. And it continues like that throughout the creed. And then it changes. In that song, everything changes, and all of a sudden, the the the, the tonality, the the notes change, and it goes deeper. And they, and and at this point, in West, if you'd put that up on the screen, or is it already up there? It goes it, it goes from that kind of higher, uh, jovial, joyful, and it should be because of what we believe. And then it goes into something serious. Etunam sanctam catholicam. Et apostolicam ecclesiam. So even if you didn't know Latin, even if you don't know what this was, you'd say the song just changed. Something important just happened. Something important just happened. Yes, yeah. Father. And that's the beauty of art. Right? And music is art. So it, it has the same tonality, and all of a sudden, boom. Et tunam sanctam catholicam. Et apostolicam ecclesiam. The four marks of the church. The church is saying this is something that is very important. It's so important that our song expresses it even. And, and of course, that, that, that is Latin for uh, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Where have we heard that before? Exactly. <laughs> we hear it in the creed. Every but, Sunday. But that to me, it, it, that's the beauty of music, right? It's sometimes... Uh, and this is a, an open criticism, not so much of our choirs, but of the music that's available to us uh, in mass. It, it's all about just trying to make an upbeat, uh, uh, create an upbeat song or something, something that's joyful. I'm not sure what the reason is, but music is supposed to express what we believe. And that creed expresses it. Again, the tonality is the same until we get to the four marks of the church. And again, even if you have no idea what's going on, something just changed. Something is being emphasized or something is different or something. I don't know what. And what's I think what's, what, what the church is telling us is this is who you are. If you're Christian, if you're Catholic, if you believe in Jesus, this is who you are. You are one holy Catholic and apostolic. And this identity, this uh, these marks of who we are, marks like character, characteristics, if you will, 
they're just called marks. Uh, they're so ingrained and so deep and so powerful that they're part of what helps the church to endure for almost 2,000 years now. So remember that when you're at Mass, music isn't just about background noise. It isn't just about something nice to listen to. It should be teaching us something. It should be emphasizing what we believe. It should be making us think, huh, that's what we believe, right? And so, so let's look for music like that. So let's go into the marks, Father. What do you say? Let's go into the marks, these four marks of the church, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Father, why don't you start us off with the first one? I will. And one thing that's so beautiful to think about, as Father said, is beginning in the, the you know the first council of Nicaea, 325, actually as input to that council, these creedal statements that already existed, and it's in the council where they finally get codified and agreed to. And they're scripturally based. So when we think about our creed, we're pointing to scripture as the source of our truths. The church is one. I'm going to read something from a, it's called Summa Apologetica, but it's a, it's a useful site. The Catholic Church is one because all of its members, according to the will of Christ, profess the same faith. A little bit this evening, you're going to talk about various rites within our right, meaning different expressions of Catholicism, and yet they still share the same faith. They have the same sacrifice, the same sacraments, and are united under one and the same visible head, the Pope. Only the Catholic Church possesses this mark of unity. Only the Catholic Church possesses this mark of unity. Various sects, having only fragments of Christianity, are divided in doctrine and practice, and they recognize no authority but their own judgment, which can easily lead naturally then into errors and in local interpretation. That's one church. And Father, thank you for that. That's a very practical definition of, of what, what one is, right? We're united in, in the sacraments. We're united in what we believe. We're united in our visible head, who is the Pope. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And, and, and in, in the creed and the elements in the creed. And that's a beautiful way of understanding it. And we can wrap our minds around that, right? We can say, hey, we all have the sacraments. We all consider holy the same things to be holy. Our head is the Pope. But we're also one because that is the prayer of Jesus, right? Wes, if you go to the image of the Trinity, please. Remember, and Jesus, he came. Remember, part of what, part of what Jesus came to do was to reveal to us the Father. He wanted to reveal to us something about the Father, and in revealing the Father, he, he reveals to us the nature of God. And so the church is one because God is one. And you might be thinking, especially after tonight, we're, I, I promise we're going to muddy the waters of Christianity like they've never been muddied before, <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully not make any mistakes. And you might think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought there was just one Catholic church, and it, we're all under the Pope, and we're all Roman Catholic, and that's it. And it gets confusing, and it is confusing. But it's also confusing, if you think about it, to understand the Holy Trinity. And yet, it's a revealed truth. Remember, uh, it's, a, it's a mystery. Not a mystery to be solved, but a, a truth that has been revealed to us by God. So God is one, and the church is one, and that was Jesus' desire for the church. Remember John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus said it explicitly. I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus was praying for us then, right? As he's speaking to his disciples, he's praying for us because we're going to believe through their word. Did you, did you know that? Scripture speaks about Jesus praying for you. I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word so that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I 
in you, that they also may be in us. Isn't that something? So Jesus is speaking about the nature of uh, the relationship between him and the Father, explicitly, implicitly rather, also the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we're invited into this community. And so by accepting and being accepted into the Christian faith, Jesus, get this, this just should knock us right off our chairs, so hold on to the table, Father. Jesus is inviting us to participate in the nature of God. Think about that for a second. By simply accepting and being accepted into the Christian faith, Jesus is inviting us into the nature of God because the nature of God is relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus wants to share that with us. In the and that's, of isn't church. it, Father, why the sacramental life of the church is so important? Why baptism is so important as the gateway sacrament? Why confession is so important? Why most especially reception of the blessed sacrament is so important? It's participating in the divinity of God. Exactly. And that is what grace is. When we Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The word grace means participating in the life of God. God gives us a bit in a very mysterious way that we don't always understand, he allows us to participate a bit in his life explicitly here while we're on earth. That's what grace is. And that's what we receive in the sacraments. We receive grace. We receive the life of God. And that that is, that is huge. That is something that, that, for that reason alone, we should be Christian, right? We should be Catholic. So that is one. And we're going to move through these kind of quickly because there's a lot of ground to cover. Uh, and then, uh, actually, Wes, if you go to the next slide, which I think is Jesus crucified on the cross, you, you know, some of, some of the early saints, and in particular St. Augustine, spoke about when Jesus' Jesus' side was pierced on the cross and blood and water flowed for, from his side. He said that was the birth of our participation in the sacrament. So you mm -hmm. just said, Father, mm -hmm. right? The blood and water that flowed from the side of Jesus was the birth of our participation in it, so the life because that, that that blood and water are poured forth, they signify, they represent Jesus's grace, his blessing, his power poured out for us and to us that we receive in his church, and that's that's why that's a powerful image. When we see Jesus, Jesus' side pierced, it wasn't just a a practical thing in the gospel to verify that he's dead, which I think is why the Romans would have done it. But it really is the beginning of our participation in the life of grace, signified by the outpouring of that water and blood. So that, that should always be for us a very powerful image, right, of the side of our Lord uh, uh, being being pierced. So let's move to, to the next one. Uh, universal. The, one. the Catholic Church is a universal church. I think she's holy first, right? It's holy. Uh, I'm sorry. It is definitely, definitely a holy <laughs> church. And it's holy. It's holy, not because we, the people in the church, are holy, although we participate in the grace through the sacraments, the grace of our Creator God and the Trinity, but it's because it was founded by Jesus Christ, who's all holy. That's what makes the Catholic Church holy. We are participants in that. Our holiness is not the measure of holiness in the church. It's Jesus Christ himself who makes it holy. That is why we are holy. We say the church is holy, not in the sense that all members are holy, but her founder gave it all the needed means to make people holy. Holiness is a mark, key word tonight, is a mark of the church according to the will of Christ, and it's evident from the prayer of our Lord. You just read, Father. You know, I told Father John we're going to go in order. I don't know why he wanted to skip holy and go right into universal, but we're, we're talking about holy. Would you put that image of Jesus up, please, Wes? Because this is what the church is all about, right? It's all about Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus. You know, and I love this image because our Lord is serene, but he's powerful. You look at his hand, it's up in blessing and it's pierced. Mm. And you see the centrality of the cross on his chest. It's all about Jesus. His father said, it is his holiness. But, you know, but we what we cannot understand the holiness of the church if we do not understand her singularity, her oneness, which means that we participate in the life of God. And that's how we're able to participate in the holiness of Jesus. And that should be very humbling for us, I think. When we consider ourselves as members of, of the church, as members of the body of Christ, we're not here because we're holy. We're here because Jesus is holy. And I think that is a message that needs to be repeated and repeated and repeated again. Because sometimes people will leave the practice of the church because they've made mistakes. They've made big mistakes. Or somebody in the church has done something uh, wrong to them. You know, sometimes they're very grave and sometimes not so grave. And, and so and so they leave. But we, we can't leave. Because, because this is where holiness is found. And it's not the holiness of the people who make up the church. Never. It never is. We don't come to church to worship the people. We don't come to church to worship the community. We don't come to church even to raise up that community. That's not why we're here. We come here to worship Jesus. And in worshiping Jesus, we are able to receive the holiness or that he shares with us. And so if you know anybody who... Who says, you know, I left the Catholic Church because of, of, of the Pope, because of the bishop. And I know you never hear, especially here in Corlane, because of the priest. You, you always say, well, wait a minute. You know, okay, your offense or whatever, the offense may be real or, you know, you merely have been hurt or affected by this. But you're not in, in church for the holiness of the Pope, because of the holiness of the bishop, or because of the holiness of any priest. You're there because of the holiness of Jesus. And isn't it something? The church has known this from the very beginning. right? We have the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed from the 2nd and the 3rd centuries, uh, respectively. And from way back then, they knew the church was holy because Jesus is holy. Not because there's something holy about her members, but about her head, who's Jesus, whose body we all are. So in a sense... We're all at the same time holy because we belong to the church, and we're unholy because we're human, and we're prone to sin. We're prone to making mistakes. So that I think that that's a challenge. If you know somebody who's not the church, remind them we go to church because Jesus is holy, and, we, and he and he calls us to participate in that holiness. He wants to share that holiness with you. So become an evangelist. Actually, what the heck? Tell them to watch PC, right? Because PC is going to somehow. In some way, even through the poverty of our programming here, <laughs> uh, will lead you to holiness, we hope. Now, Father, you can go to Universal. I was just so excited, I couldn't <laughs> hold back. I couldn't hold back. Universal. Catholic Church is Catholic or Universal because it's been destined to last for all time, which we are experiencing now for 20 beautiful centuries. It never fails to fulfill the divine commandment to teach all nations, all nations. Evangelists, missionaries go to all nations to teach the revealed truths of God. Catholicity is a mark, our key word. Catholicity is a mark of the church because Christ commissioned his apostles. Matthew 28, chapter 28, the great commissioning in Matthew's gospel. Go forth and therefore baptize everyone in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Christ further promised to be with them all days, even to the end of time. I am not leaving you, he says. I am sending you an advocate 
The church today teaches the same doctrine it received directly from Christ. It has existed uninterruptedly, without interruption, since the day it was established down into the present time. Universal. It's meant for all people. All people breathed into life by God. All people are, are intended by God to be exposed to the gospel truth. I like the way that this definition worded that it's universal because it's destined for everybody and for all time, to last for all time. So universal isn't just all peoples, but it's also all time. All time. No end. Yeah, you think about that, the universal. So if you go to that first slide there, Wes, about our understanding of the universality of the church, this to me is a powerful image. And, and it's, and it's an, image, an image from the early thousands, about uh, well, 1072. And, and in Latin above that woman's head, it says, Mater Ecclesia, Mother Church, Holy Mother Church. We always refer to the church as our mother, right? Because the church is the bride, Christ is the bridegroom, and the unity of Christ and his church gives us life. And that's why we call the church Holy Mother Church. And so in this image, we see the, 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 the church, if, in order to understand its universality, her universality rather, we have to understand that for, she is destined to be the mother of everyone for all times, as we said. And I think this depicts it beautifully. There is no statue of Holy Mother Church. We're not trying to say that she was a person. She's the church, right? And it's depicted beautifully in this, in this image from the very early 1000s. Right, and this, this this painting, incidentally, is representing what is celebrated at Easter. Isn't that something? You'd think it would be a, an image of Jesus rising from the grave. I think that maybe was on a different panel, perhaps, or maybe it was just taken for granted that everybody knows that Jesus rose from the dead. But a byproduct, if you will, of Jesus rising from the dead is the existence and the power and the mandate of Holy Mother Church. And we see it there. And so if you go to the next slide, uh, Wes, if you ever go to Rome, and hopefully all of you will go to Rome sometime, and this gives us a bird's eye view of Bernini's colonnade. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome is arguably, right? And when you say arguably, it could be, it could be maybe, it could, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, is arguably the, the, the most important church in Christendom, right? Because it's, it's, the, it's built over the tomb of St. Peter, which today continues to be the home of the successors of Peter who are the Pope. But if you think about it, the, the, the primary church in the world should be the church in Jerusalem, the Cathedral Church of Jerusalem, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Church of the Resurrection. But anyways, the, the Church of St. Peter's has become the most important church. And Bernini, when he designed the, the square, the piazza, that round thing surrounded by the, the, those columns called the colonnade, he made it in such a way that he that, that represents arms. And the arms that are reaching out away from the church and they're embracing all of humanity. Isn't that something? That was that was done in the 1500s into the 1600s. And with that mentality in mind, right? So we're going to build a square where hopefully the whole world will come. And they couldn't have imagined in the 21st century the people that would be coming to Rome still, right? To go see the Holy Father, to go see the tomb of St. Peter, and this colonnade, this 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 plaza, the piazza, as they're called it in Italy, is, is designed to embrace all of humanity. Come home. Come to the church. Hmm. Right? This is where, 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 we, where we find our identity, not so much as St. Peter's in, in Italy, in Rome, 
but in the church. Right? This is where we find our home. This is where our mother is. This is where we are called to be. And it is expressed in architecture. You see how important art is for the church in the art that we see in painting, the art that we see in fresco, the art that we see in music, and today the art of architecture. Right? It wasn't done this way just for just for uh, because it's pretty. And actually, it's very acoustic. You go and stand in certain places, and it's really acoustically. You get to you see how they really had a, the sound engineering down perfectly way back then. But here it is: the 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 Church of Rome embracing all all of humanity. And so this this gets a little complicated um, because what does it mean to be Catholic? Who are the Catholics? So Wes, if you put up the the next slide. I told you it's going to be a little muddy, and it is. So this is what the Catholic Church is. The Catholic Church is made up of six rites, R-I-T-E. Think of ceremony, think of the Mass. The expression, the physical, the outward expression of the faith, I think is a good way to describe a rite. So there's six ways that that's done. So the way that we celebrate Mass here in Coeur d'Alene, for example, or in our nation, or really in the whole of the Western world, is different from the way it's done in other rites. Those rites are divided into 24 churches. A church is a community that can trace itself all the way back to one of the apostles. That's incredibly important. A church is a community that can trace itself all the way back to one of the apostles. One of the definitions that Father John read about the church being one spoke about uh, churches that, that are not Catholic, right? Remember, Pope Benedict clarified for this uh, about 10 or 15 years ago. They're known as ecclesial communities. There's something ecclesial, something churchy Components about them, yeah. but they rightly cannot be called the church because they cannot trace themselves back to an apostle, right? And so these these 24 churches living, coexisting under these six, expressing themselves, <clears throat> themselves rather under these six rites are all united by the Bishop of Rome. The Bishop of Rome, one of the, one of the, actually, here's two titles for the Pope. So he's Bishop of Rome. The, the Bishop of Rome is always the Pope. But believe it or not, he is, he's first and foremost the Bishop of Rome. Before he's Pope, he's the Bishop of Rome. Another of his titles is the Patriarch of the West. And that'll make sense in a second. If you go to the next slide, please, Wes. This is where things get really exciting. Remember I told you that the previous slide spoke about the six rites. R-I-T-E's. The first rite, the one that we're most familiar with, is known as the Latin rite. The, we're, we call ourselves Roman Catholic. When you go to the Holy Land, because you almost go to the Holy Land sometime, that's where you're going to realize you're Latin. <laughs> you probably don't feel Latin, but you are. And people are going to ask you, are you Latin or are you Orthodox or are you something else? And we're Latin. So we're, we're the Latin rite of the, of the church. Uh, Roman Catholicism, established in Italy, in Rome, uh, and expressed from there. That's why it's Latin, because it is established in, in, in Rome. The next rite is known as the Alexandrian rite. It's Coptic, Cop Coptic Catholic. And that one is primarily present in Ethiopia, other countries too, but is primarily uh, present in Ethiopia. Was if you go to the slide of that Coptic priest, just so you can see a little bit of difference, that's how Coptic priests vest. That's how they dress. That's that's their everyday dress. That's not ceremonial. Uh, and so if you go to Jerusalem today, the, the shorter of the two priests, that thing he's wearing on his head, 
They, that's what they wear for the most part. I think the, the other guy might, might be a bishop. Um, but I'm kind of glad I'm Latin. I don't think I want to wear all that. I, I think, don't think I could grow that beard. I think I'd get hot. <laughs> so anyways, that is those are Coptic priests. right? They're as Catholic as you and I. But if you went to their mass, you would be confused. And they, if they came to our mass, they would be confused. Same too. sacraments, though. Same sacraments, this same the belief. The, the way expression of, is different. The, the choreography. Absolutely. Yeah. And they have what is known as a patriarch. The patriarch is the head of their church. And so you have the, the, the patriarch of, of the of the Alexandrian rite, right? Because these are known as Eastern churches. So they have their leader is known as a patriarch, which I want to go back to the to the Pope being the patriarch of the West, because he is the patriarch of the whole West. Right. And, and so, anyways, that's this is kind of an interesting little thing. The next church is the West Syria, known as Antokine, right? And that one is Maronite, primarily found in Lebanon. So the, the and again very different their language I've been I've actually been to a Maronite mass on a couple of occasions their language is Arab so when you go to to a, a Maronite mass it's all done in Arab they never switched to the vernacular right so imagine like if our mass had not gone to English they kept the Arab it was fascinating about the Maronite right is you hear references to Allah because Allah is God. And Allah was a Maronite word, or, or rather an Antokian word, long before it was one Arabic, Ar yeah. uh, Muslim. Muslim, yeah. Because it's Arab for God. And that, anyway, that's how they dress. That's how the, the Maronites dress uh, uh, for mass. So again, a different expression. And then we have the Armenian rite. Armenian rite is one of the oldest rites. It's almost as old as the Latin rite. It's it's uh, Armenia, believe it or not, is one of the places where the church outside of Rome, the Roman church, started to grow, and it, it became its own rite. So it's the the Armenian Catholic Church, and then we have the East Syrian, which is the Chaldean Church. Primarily, uh, that one is primarily found in, in in Iraq, and also India, and they and those two are they're so proud of the fact that they can trace themselves back all the way to Saint Thomas. St. Thomas is the one that establishes established these churches. So uh, the, there's a Syro Malabar, which is the, the Indian expression of it. right? And, and so, again, dressed very differently. And, and the priest holds that little cross in his hand, and they, they never give a blessing without that. They give their blessing with that. Hmm. Unlike we Western priests, we're Western. We don't realize we're Western, right? But wherever we're Western, we use our hand. And there's an official name for that, and, and God alone knows what it is because I don't know what it is right now. But um, but the Chaldean and the Syro Malabar. Then we have the 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 Byzantine rite, and I think that was the picture you had before uh, Wes, the Byzantine rite, and also very old. There, there we go. And the, now the Byzantine is divided into lots of churches. You have the Russian Catholic Church. You have the um, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't the Greek Catholic Church. Very important that it says Russian Catholic. Greek Catholic and not Russian Orthodox, not Greek Orthodox. That's and we'll have to cover that some different on a different day. But that is a, a bishop, and look how he's dressed, very different from our bishops, right? And there he is. I thought this was an appropriate picture because he's there with the Pope in perfect union with the Pope of Rome. Perfect union, but very different expressions. Very, very different expression. The way they dress. The way they they express their belief, the way they celebrate the sacraments, 
very, very different. In fact, if you ever go to one of these services, they're very interesting because the, the, they, they mash up the bread with wine and it's warm. And that's communion. It's mixed together. And the priest will, will, will put it you know, on a little spoon. And from the spoon, he transfers it to your mouth. So you never, ever receive on the, on the hand because it's mushy, really. I don't mean that with any disrespect. It's uh, warm wine and bread mixed together, and they put the spoon into your mouth. That's how they take the Eucharist in most of these churches. Mm. So fascinating. So did, so did you know that that's the universal church is universal because we're not all Western right. We're not all last Latin right. But we are all apostolically based. Every one of these churches traces it back to the apostles. We go back like to the apostles, and they're in union with Rome. In union with Rome. In, incredibly important. We're in, in union with Rome. And Father, thank you for bringing it up because our last mark, so that, so universal, and we got a taste for what the universal church is, right? It doesn't just mean that you can go all throughout the world and find a Catholic church. Sometimes we think that's what it means, but it means that there's all these rites that come together under the Pope of Rome, right? And and the Pope of Rome is is all an expression of the primacy of Saint Peter. Did you want to talk a little bit about the just the, to, again augmenting our definition mm -hmm. we've already addressed, which is it's tying it back to the apostolic church. The 72 and the 12 were sent out by Christ to bring the gospel message out to the world. And they did that. And we know that from last Sunday's divine mercy Sunday, the reading was about Thomas and, and, and coming forward, putting his hand into the side of Christ. Thomas Tomo is the Syrian, Syri the, uh, the, the Aramaic for Tomo, the twin to Omo. Mm. And Tomas is a derivative of that name, the twin of whom? The twin of Christ through his participation in the faith, through his through his participation in the divine life. The Catholic Church is apostolic because it was founded by Christ on the apostles and according to his divine will. And it has always been governed by their lawful successors, by their lawful successors. The true church is apostolic because it is the church founded by Christ upon the apostles and especially upon Peter, whom he called the rock, Kephas, on which the church would be built. The supreme power of St. Peter in the church has not concluded here, but we know this. The supreme power of St. Peter in the church is given to us by our Lord himself. He says to Peter, I will, upon you, I will build this church. You are rock, Peter, and upon you, I will build this church. And, and that power, that right, that responsibility has been passed down unbroken from Peter all the way to Francis. And so we can we can trace it all the way back. Thank you, Wes. And I like I like this image because it has the twelve apostles there, and they're holding up the church. Remember, I told you a couple weeks ago about that song: "The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord." Not quite. The church's one foundation is Peter, right? Established by Christ. Established. Christ is the bricklayer. Peter is the brick. Well, more probably speaking, the rock, right? and the the other apostles with him. And, and, and incredibly important, if we're going to be Christian, that we were able to go back to the apostles. For us Latin Rite Catholics, we can trace our lineage back all the way to St. Peter. And in fact, various popes, various uh, bishops, or actually, actually bishops, are able, and I'm not sure if they're given their lineage or they have to investigate it on their own. But Bishop Peter actually just fairly recently uh, shared that his lineage of the, the the bishops and the popes who consecrated those bishops in that line is Pope St. Pius X. Hmm. So he said he he said that that the the 
the bishops that ordained the bishops that ordained the bishops that ordained him were ordained by by Pope uh, St. Pius X. And then beyond Pope St. Pius X, who knows? I, I don't know if Bishop Peter How knows. How far back you can go. Yeah. But, you can, you but they can go, trace it all the way back to the laying back. on of hands. Laying on of hands, you can trace it all the way back to St. Peter. That is the definition of a church. Remember, we have all those rights, all those churches within those rights, because they go back to an apostle. Because the, the apostles are the ones who are given the task to proclaim Jesus, to establish the church throughout the world. And that's what they did. And who would have thought, you know, that all these years later, you and I would be here, wherever you're listening to us, right? It, most of us here in, in northern Idaho or, or in Idaho, that what started there, what Jesus started, started with those men, what we're doing here is a direct result of that because it is the church of Christ and it, and it continues being one. It continues being holy. It continues being universal because it is apostolic. And perhaps apostolic is the key to all of it. We, we observe that, don't we, Father, that in spite of the church's unfolding over these many centuries with eras of concern or scandals that happen, and we look at that and think, well, well they're imperfect humans is what yeah. they are. But the reason it continues on in the, in the same sense that the Eucharistic prayer that you and I are so privileged to say in every sacrifice of the Mass, we are reading the words of Christ handed down to us through our apostolic ancestors in the faith. And yeah. it, it's the same carried out year after year, mass after mass. It's the same. And, and not only that, Father, but the reason that you come to church, believe it or not, the reason that you come to mass, either St. Thomas or Pope St. Pius or St. George, wherever you go to mass, the reason you go to mass is because that priest is valid, validly ordained by a bishop who's apostolic. Right, because if that bishop is not apostolic, he cannot validly ordain that priest. So that it's very practical for us. Right, that's why it's important that we know who our bishop is, because he's a validly apostolically ordained bishop, who can now make us into priests, which is what he's done to, with us. So thank you for tuning in tonight. The the CIA, the Catholic in Action today is as, as a family. Uh, look look in your prayer books. Look in your missals. And compare and pray together the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. And look for the ways that the marks of the church are expressed there. And for those of you high achievers or overachievers, which I think are most of you, if you're watching us, you're an overachiever, uh, type in the credo, C-R-E-D-O, and listen to it. Mm. And you're going to see that change. It's all the same, and all of a sudden it changes because the four marks of the church. So uh, thank you for joining us. We're so happy you, that you're here with us. Continue to have a happy Easter, please. And Father John, uh, give us a blessing. What a privilege. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we just give you praise and glory for the chance to gather as this Catholic family gathered on these Tuesday evenings or whenever we take advantage of this broadcast. Continue to bless the work of this church here and throughout the world. Continue to bless our individual journey in the faith. Bless our communal journey in the faith as this one holy, universal, and apostolic community of believers. This we pray through your holy name. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.